Welcome into another edition of the Swarmcast. David Eichel here, HawkeyeInsider.com. Please be joined, as always, uh, by Sean Bach. Sean, we're finally about to hit the home stretch of Iowa basketball and football colliding. We got a chance to talk with Fran McCaffrey earlier this week. I believe we're going to be able to talk to some of the basketball players next week. And football is definitely on the up and up as it's a little bit of an, a faster week with the, the game being played on Friday. Iowa looking for their sixth straight win over the Golden Gophers. Uh, but before we kind of dive into all that, Sean, uh, how's everything going with you today? I know you've been kind of uh, pretty busy with uh, Peyton Sanford making it official with the Hawkeyes today. Yeah, so I mean, that'll be going on later today. Um, Waukee three-star wing, Peyton Sanford, Iowa's lone commit in the 2021 class, making it official national signing day, early signing day. Um, so been doing some stuff for that, some football recruiting stuff. Um, obviously, the Minnesota game on Friday kind of changes up the week a little bit in terms of what days we put out certain articles and obviously a podcast, too. I think we're normally doing this on Thursday. Mm-hmm. So moving everything up and Saturdays give me a little weird. I mean, I'll be going to see uh, OABCIG four-star safety or athlete commit, Iowa commit Cooper Jean on Saturday so I guess I'll have a football game to cover on Saturday but still I mean that's usually not ever the case um with the media it's almost taking us back to uh before Big Ten football got started Uh, yeah I mean to a certain degree yeah I mean I guess that makes sense like I felt like at that time we had no structure but now it's kind (laughs) of really messed like yeah. Just kind of pushing everything forward. So it's been it's been a little weird, obviously, with finals coming or like midterm stuff coming up next week. Um or like not Is it midterm finals. or you guys do you guys wrap up after Thanksgiving or you do do you just go virtual for the next two weeks? We go virtual for the next two weeks. So I should have said just like assign like teachers scramming assignments do before we sure. go all I mean it's not gonna be bad, like it's pretty easy, but still it's kind of just something that's always in the back of your mind. For sure, for sure. So, uh, Sean, like I said, we have a lot to dive into. I think right off the bat, let's dive right into Minnesota. We'll probably talk a little bit about Michigan State, uh, but I think we covered that pretty well in the postgame podcast. Iowa beating the Spartans 49-7 in a game that was, I think, a must-win for the Iowa football program, not just this season, but with everything that went on this summer. So that was a very big win for them. But what are some things that jump off the page to you, Sean, about this Minnesota team? I think the first thing for me is it's running back Mohamed Ibrahim uh, leading the conference with 10 over 10 rushing touchdowns, averaging 190 yards per game, which is the most in the country. Granted, the averages are a little bit weird considering that some teams have played eight games and some teams have played three. But n- nonetheless, he's been incredibly impressive for the Gophers this season. Yeah, and I think it's something like maybe a little under six yards per carry or something like that. I believe so, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, it's not just like ground and pound. Like, he's getting good chunk. He's getting good chunks of yardage each time he's carrying the ball in. I was listening to uh, the Ryan Ryan Burns of our 24-7 site up at Minnesota, and he was talking about just how good Ibrahim has been and um obviously he's a guy who's not really a burner but he had like 125 yards per care or yards after contact yeah against Illinois last week I don't know if that's just Illinois not being able to finish their tackles or if you know Ibrahim is really that just type of that bruiser back um with a good with a good mix of speed too not like I said not like 
breathtaking speed or jaw dropping speed, but I mean, he's got, he's got a little bit of wheels on him. Um, so he's definitely going to be a guy that you can have to finish tackling. I think Iowa did a pretty good job of that here and there. I thought Chauncey Golson maybe missed a couple tackles against Michigan state. I mean, granted Rocky Lombardi's a big dude, but there were some plays that maybe he could have Rocky or Lombardi could have been sacked rather than, um, get like a couple more yards or have a chance of making a play. So Ibrahim's definitely going to pose a challenge for Iowa. I mean, I've had that <clears throat> I had that as one of my matchups to watch going into this game. Ibrahim in the Iowa's front seven on defense. So it's really going to be really going to be interesting. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting when you look at a stat, Sean, I was just going over some of the game notes for Minnesota. Um He's ranked 24th in the nation overall rushing yards, and he's only played three games. Every other player that's above him has played at least six games. And the next closest to him that has only played three games is Wyoming starting running back, who has 200 less yards than him. With that being said, uh, Mohamed Ibrahim, this takes nothing away from him, but he has just been, I think he's upwards of about 100 carries, I think 97 or 98. So he's getting the ball 30-plus times a game right now. Uh, he's going to be a guy that Iowa is going to have to really, I think, swarm to the football, not rely on one guy to tackle him in open space because, like you mentioned, he's a big power back. And something else that's interesting, Sean, this, again, takes nothing away from him, but it's one of those stats that is just interesting to me. As I mentioned, he has 10 rushing touchdowns. But of those 10 rushing touchdowns, they're a collective 34 yards in those 10 touchdowns. So he's had um, 16 yards touchdown five yard touchdown one two one one against Maryland one yard two yards one yard and four yards against Illinois so I mean they're going to run the ball he's again he's not going to burn you for 20 30 yards but he's just going to wear the defense out and even if Iowa stops the the run which they did against Northwestern granted Iowa's offensive issues were a big reason why they didn't end up being Northwestern but Iowa's defense really did get tired near the end of that game, despite giving the offense plenty of opportunities. So he's a big bruising back. I think that Minnesota starting five uh, has been very impressive, getting off the line of scrimmage and really nailing those blocks and those schemes. Yeah, they have Rashad Bateman, a wide receiver, but that, that Minnesota offensive line has just been moving a lot of teams front seven back. And Iowa's defensive line, I think it's a good thing they're coming off. I think their best game of the season. They got pressure on Lombardi. Uh, they weren't being moved around by the Michigan State front five. But they need to be oozing with confidence. They're going to have to be very aggressive. And I think Davion Nixon's going to need to have his best game if Iowa hopes to slow down that gopher rushing attack. That's why it's really important, too, that Iowa can't fall behind in the second half, fourth quarter, because we saw what happened against Purdue. Granted, Purdue took a late lead, but towards the end of the game, they just started to drain Iowa's defense because Xander Horvath would rush for like four, five, six, seven yards each time he touched the ball on the ground. So that's the same thing with Ibrahim too. Like Ibrahim's even that much more of a bruiser and a guy that we've seen or has evident the past three games has just been so good um, for Minnesota. So it's definitely going to be a battle that's I think is going to be really interesting and you take into effect the passing game. I mean, Tanner Morgan hasn't had the year that he had last year with Tyler Johnson and Rashad Bateman at his disposal. Um, and just overall, I think the passing game's kind of taking that step back for Minnesota because you look at the stats, Rashad Bateman, 
Obviously, we knew about him coming into the season. All-American guy, potentially a first-round pick in the 2021 NFL Draft. He has 24 receptions on the year. The next, the the next gopher with like the one that's second, that's Chris Almond Bell. He is six. So, and I think his best game was against um, Maryland, where he had four receptions for 112 yards and a touchdown. While in the other two games, he's only had one reception. He's their number two guy. I mean, you could consider like maybe a Seth Green or Daniel Jackson up there too, but really everything's going to Rashad Bateman and it's not really yeah. close. Yeah. Chris Altman Bell averaging 27 yards per catch though. I mean, he is a very big play dynamic wide receiver. He might not be as talented or consistent as Bateman and, and obviously Tyler Johnson from last year, but he is a dangerous threat and Iowa's secondary is going to need to, I think really be locked down because I have a feeling PJ Fleck is going to try to establish that run. They're going to do that. Uh, run pass option and they're going to take a few shots downfield to Rashad Bateman uh, considering that Iowa did get beat twice on two 50 plus yard passes against Michigan State and you have a guy like Rashad Bateman who can make those big plays happen and a guy like Tanner Morgan who can throw the ball that far I mean I wouldn't be surprised to see PJ Fleck and company get a little bit more uh, aggressive on that end but uh, switching sides Sean Minnesota's defense has just been horrendous to say the absolute least I think that obviously the loss of Antoine Winfield Jr. was huge to them I thought he would I thought they'd take a step back without him I didn't think it would be this drastic but I think it goes to show how important he was to that uh, to that defense last year and I thought he was undervalued despite being a second team all-american caliber guy but Sean you look at the stats right now about rushing defense it's it's mind-boggling to me because Minnesota is giving up an average, Sean, of 7.3 yards per carry. That's dead last in the Big Ten. 13th in the Big Ten is only giving up 4.9 yards per carry. I mean, it's it's not even close. Uh, the Iowa Hawkeyes are number one in the Big Ten right now, uh, giving up only 2.6 yards per carry and 306 total yards. But, Sean, I think that – with the strategy Iowa went against Northwestern two weeks ago with throwing the ball 50 plus times, only running the ball 23 plus times, 23 times, Iowa's got to run the ball 40, 50 times against this Minnesota defense. Yeah, definitely. And if it's working too, that's going to be huge. Like I think if Minnesota is able, if Iowa comes out throwing the ball, then that's kind of going to set the tone, um, which is not something you want. And I think, they really executed well last week against Michigan State because you look at Michigan State and they have good linebackers, Antoine Simmons, um, and their defensive line was really promising in their first couple games. While with Minnesota, you kind of got some question marks. I mean, Boy Mafe is a promising tackler, really high upside guy, but I think he's mo- most known in the pass rush. Doesn't play every snap two on defense. Um, and then you got D'Angelo Carr too on defense, who's more of a pass rusher from what I've seen, he's able to clog the lane a little bit, but he's not really the type to, you know, be like a huge run run stopper. Um, Micah Dude Treadway and Rashad Chaney are two other guys that I think will be the big ones up front. That'll be a interesting matchup for the interior um, of Iowa's offensive line. But once if they get past that second level, that's where it's kind of interesting because Mario Sori Marin, who is a actually from my neck of the woods, sort of. Um, Providence Catholic in Illinois. Um, He had a 29.1 grade in the run defense last week. 
um, against Illinois, which according to Pro Football Focus, which was the lowest for Minnesota. He's kind of a physical guy, pretty good in pass coverage, but he hasn't really been all that great in the run this year. And I think it's kind of evident what um, we've seen from, you know, just the stats. I mean, the stats don't lie. Like, Minnesota has not been good in the run game. I mean, luckily for Minnesota, though, Petrus isn't really the most mobile quarterback. Um, I know they had troubles against guys like Joe Milton and then uh, Tua or Talia Tagovailoa um, with kind of getting them out of the pocket and mm-hmm. those guys getting um, able to make plays with their feet a little bit and a little bit of Brandon Peters, but not too much. Um, so that's going to be a, a plus for the Minnesota defense when it comes to Iowa. But yeah, I mean, just the front seven for Minnesota has not been all that impressive this year. I think I don't know what it is. I mean, I think they lose some guys. I mean, losing Carter Coughlin is really a yep. big loss. He was their one of their best defensive players in program history. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think too, just not having Joe Rossi, their defensive coordinator out there, I think that takes a big hit too. Because, I mean, I know we saw it with Purdue. Um, where they didn't have Jeff Brown, but, you know, I think with a younger group, like it takes that much of a toll on them um, from a defensive perspective. I mean, who really knows? I mean, I think that's kind of something that you have to take into account with this team and their struggles. Yeah, Sean, I, I think you bring up a couple of good points too. And something I'll bring up about Iowa's rushing offense. Remember Tyler Goodson got his first career start against Minnesota last year. That was when his, when he got his first career start, he had 13 carries, for 94 yards and a touchdown, broke off a 26-yard run as well. I believe his snaps were limited. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Sean, but didn't he have a twisted ankle in the third quarter, sec- late second, early third quarter uh, that caused him to miss the rest of the game? Granted, he didn't miss the next week, obviously, and it was fine. But Is that they Tyler? Were- yeah, Tyler. Yeah, I know he had some sort of injury. He may have tweaked but- something during the game, but he was fine yeah. after. Yeah. Um, so I think that's something to keep in mind too. And again, I think Tyler Goodson shown a lot this year. He's coming off a game where he recorded his second career, uh, second career hundred yard game, broke off a 71 yard and yard run, stopped at the four yard line. He was upset post game. He couldn't finish that. And I think I said this in the post game podcast, Sean, but I want to repeat this. Iowa's 71 yard run last game was the longest run Iowa's had in a game at least in the regular season, since November 25th, 2016, when Akron Wadley broke off a 75-yarder against Nebraska. And that was just an absolutely crazy stat to me. And like you said, Sean, I think you brought this up a few minutes ago, and I think it's worth noting, Iowa cannot fall behind, especially with its second-half offensive struggles. I think that since they scored on their first drive uh, in the third quarter, that snapped a six game six big 10 game stretch without a touchdown in the third quarter I think that's huge for this team just to kind of get that burden off their back and like I said I think Iowa's offensive line I don't want to say they've been shaky here or there they're they're allowing the least amount of sacks in the conference I think Petrus at times has escaped the pocket a little bit when he hasn't needed to but Iowa's nearly averaging five yards per carry and despite Coy Kronk's injury despite Kyler Schott not being available Iowa's starting five and Iowa's offensive line, Sean, I think has performed very, very well this year. I think the team's got to be happy with what they're getting out of these guys. Yeah, I mean, especially last week, I thought Alaric Jackson, we talked about in the postgame podcast how I kind of thought Alaric Jackson's block 
um, on that Makai Sargent touchdown, I think in the third quarter was kind of telling of his whole performance and really how he put it together. Um, and same goes for the offensive line too. I mean, pro football focus, I don't think was too high on Cody Ince, but I thought he did a fine job um, here and there just kind of based on the eye test and some of the notable blocks that I saw. But yeah, I think if Iowa can establish the run and establish kind of their dominance on the offensive line against Minnesota, I think that's going to be a really, really telling of how this game's going to go, especially if they kind of, if they're able to execute and running backs are able to find the holes like we've seen Tyler Goodson do this year, um, especially on that long run. I yeah. think one thing too you need to take into account with Minnesota is that they lost their first two games to teams that, you know, kind of had a weird year because Michigan obviously 0-3 on the year. Or no, Michigan 1-2 on the year, sorry. Maryland got blown out their first game against Northwestern, has somehow come back and won their last two games. Illinois. look good while of, doing it too. Yeah, I mean, Illinois. No fluke. Illinois has probably been the most consistent team this year in the Big Ten in terms of like, like not what we expected, but just how yeah. bad they've been. So, you know, I think you look at this Minnesota game and it's like, okay, Minnesota's lost the last five years to Iowa. But they're coming off a win. They're confident as well. And I think that's kind of what both teams needed because, I mean, who would have expected that both these teams would be one and two coming into this game? I mean, I guess the Michigan game at the beginning of the year was kind of a toss-up, but – you expected Minnesota to beat uh, Maryland. You expected Minnesota to beat Illinois. You expected Iowa to beat Northwestern, in a sense. You expected Iowa to beat Purdue, yeah. yeah. So it's just a weird game. Like, I don't – I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, I feel like this game, that last game, I feel like if it was more, you know, I think if it was if – if either team would have lost last week, I think it would have been a different story this week heading sure. into it just off the basis of, you know, like there's really not much confidence. They're kind of throwing it in, like, you know, that sort of thing. But I think now after they got those big ones last week, that's just a huge plus for this whole game's um, – for this game's just – I don't know, just like just competition the aspect level of in it. general. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I'll it's say a this. Rivalry. It's a rivalry game yeah. too. So. And I'll say this, Sean, whether I don't know if you'll agree with me or if people will agree with me, all the pressure is on Minnesota. Iowa blew out Michigan State last week, 49-7. Iowa owns a five-game winning streak over Minnesota. The pressure is on Minnesota if they want to be able to snap that losing streak. and Because that's something I think has really bothered not just that fan base. I think it's bothered P.J. Fleck to a certain degree. I think the rivalry is amped up over the past few years because not that I, I, I think I'm not speaking out of turn when I say this. It, it's pretty apparent to me, at least, by some of Brian Ferentz's comments regarding recruiting and what he said on some local radio shows. He's not exactly a fan of P.J. Fleck. So I think Brian Ferentz takes this game a little bit more personally as well. So Wait, wait did he actually say that? I be, if I remember correctly, I think he was on a couple radio shows about a year and a half ago. He took shots at Minnesota. He took shots at Nebraska. Very subtle shots. But Jeez. I don't think Brian is a big fan of P.J. Fleck in that program. Again, don't take my word for law. That's just off the top of my head what I believe I remember. I know for 100% fact he took shots at, at Nebraska, though. I have to go back and find the tape, but – Anyway, the rivalry, I think, 
Iowa, I think, again, there's still a lot to play for on Iowa's behalf. And I said this last week, Sean, Iowa had to beat Michigan State just to get the train back on track. But now that's back on track, you can keep these winning streaks against Nebraska and Minnesota alive. You'll have opportunities to snap losing streaks against Penn State, who it's unbelievable to me that they are 0-3 this season. They could be 0-4 after this weekend if they lose to Nebraska. And in Wisconsin, who knows what they are. Yeah, they, Graham Mertz was incredibly impressive in his opening start. And, but they've only played one game, and that was against Illinois, who's the worst team in the conference. So there's a lot of, I think, question marks around there right now. So Iowa will have a chance to be able to snap a losing streak against them. I mean, there are plenty of streaks to, to play for. There's plenty of momentum to be built on for future seasons. There's still a lot to play for. And this is a rivalry that I would – I don't want to speak out of turn for Iowa fans, but this is, I think, one of, if not the most important rivalry of all the rivalries uh, maybe besides the Cyhawk Trophy. I beg to differ. I say Wisconsin's bigger. If you consider it, like, what kind of the – like, usually what the uh, the stakes for the past couple years, and especially this year, too, if things turn around for Iowa, I think it's Wisconsin. But I think we could do a whole different podcast on that. Probably. The only thing I'll, I'll say in response, Sean, is I'm not agreeing. I, I mean, I agree with you in terms of prestige, in terms of what it plays for, but I'm speaking specifically about the history and the animosity between the fan bases. The Floyd sure. Rosedale is an iconic trophy. Uh, but you, you can make the argument for Iowa State, Wisconsin, and Minnesota. I don't want to hear Nebraska. It's just too new of a rivalry, and I still think it's pretty fabricated for the most part. But that's a story for another day. Uh, so, Sean, let's kind of – break things down just a little bit more on the Iowa side of things. We'll go to our keys file predictions before we dive into basketball to kind of wrap this up. What, what, what do you want to see Iowa do against, against Minnesota? I think the, the one thing I'll say, and I'll, I'll let you respond. I want to see Iowa's defensive line establish dominance. I want cause I really do believe that played a huge part in why Iowa row Rocky Lombardi uh, extremely early in the game. They had three quarterback pressures on the first drive, and he just never looked right the rest of the game. Iowa's uh, front seven needs to be able to get that push. They need to not allow a lot of big rushing yards, and they got to get pressure uh, on Tanner Morgan. I think if they can do that, Iowa's setting themselves up for success. Yeah, I want to see Iowa – I think this kind of this is kind of the exact same. I want to see Iowa force Minnesota to beat them through the air. And I want to see someone other than Rashad Bateman be forced to beat them, which I think will be really interesting because, like I said, Tanner Morgan hasn't been as good as he was last year, and Rashad Bateman's really been the main guy. Like, if they have a guy like Chris Ottman Bell that'll beat him, then I think that's a good – that's something that you got to look out for because look at look at Purdue game. It's like Purdue, they have other good wide receivers outside David Bell, but they didn't have Rondell Moore. But Purdue beat – Iowa with David Bell. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. 
And I think if you're Iowa, you come out with this game and a little more, little more focused on stopping a primary receiver. I think the game against Michigan State was big because Iowa was able to force turnovers, have three interceptions. Um, granted, I mean the one to Barrington Wade was a little was a little suspect. Um, the one to Jack Kerner was pretty was kind of just a really bad pass, but good coverage by Jack. And then the one to Riley Moss was just a bad Same throw by Lombardi, yeah. but. But, I mean, those are the kind of plays that you have to get those takeaways from. I mean, any good college quarterback's not just going to sit in the pocket and just throw a pick. I mean, yeah, it happens, but usually there's something kind of crazy that happens, like pressure or um, just like a ball gets knocked away. But if you're able to force turnovers, and it starts, too, with the defensive line. I mean, look at all those plays that Rocky Lombardi, those interceptions Rocky Lombardi had the defensive line did a good job of getting the pressure. Like they almost sacked him on the Riley Moss one. And I think too, on the um, Jack Kerner interception, that was another good pressure. I can't remember who was exactly, but there was good pressure on that. So I think it kind of ties into both of our points of what I'm trying to say is defensive line needs to get pressure, but the secondary needs to make plays as well and stop Bateman. Cause I think that's going to be really important. And something that was a good sign for the Iowa defensive line, Sean, is Chauncey Golston really made an impact into Michigan State. I mean, he was constantly in the backfield. I think he had a sack and a half or at least a tackle for loss and a half. He, I think, ended with six tackles. Davion Nixon's getting double and triple teamed. He still has consistent of a weapon. I mean, he looks like a a second day two NFL guy right now. Davion Nixon's playing outstanding football. And his fumble recovery that was uh, called back, do I mean just because it was ruled an incomplete pass? I think you got to add that to his NFL highlight tape because that big dude was moving, Sean. I mean, he was. I mean, that's absolutely terrifying how fast a guy that's uh, that size, that guy that size can move that fast. I I can't talk. I'm so astounded by it. But uh, a couple of things too, Sean. I want to bring up about Minnesota. Minnesota, uh, interestingly enough, is third in the Big Ten in third down conversions. They're converting 54.3 percent. And they are fourth in, th- in third down defense. But the stat that kind of pops out to me about that, Sean, it's not the percentage. It's the overall third downs for opposed, go for opponents. They've only gotten 28 third downs in three games, which is the least amount uh, in the Big Ten, excluding Purdue and excluding Wisconsin, considering they have not played uh, three games. Even Nebraska has had more than that. So teams are really, I think, moving the ball, making big plays on first and second down. And I think Iowa running the football, that's how they're going to have to be able to do it. And I think the second key, like we already kind of touched on, get Makai Sargent involved. Give Tyler Goodson the ball 20 or more times. Sprinkle in some Ivory Kelly Martin and let them create plays. Tyler Goodson can make something out of nothing. We've seen that time and time again. I think he's a lot more patient this year uh, in regards to – offensive line opening up holes for him he can make some good moves I mean we've seen what he can do just let him go out there and do it just give him the ball give him uh, an opportunity and I think Sean before we kind of make our final final keys and predictions we have to talk a little bit about Spencer Petras Uh, Spencer Petras right now 54% completion percentage two touchdowns I believe four interceptions on the season Uh, both touchdowns have gone to Brandon Smith uh now that you've had a couple of days to kind of sit on it, Sean, how would you kind of assess Petrus's performance through his first three games? You know, I think 
getting the run going. I know it's cliche. I know we talk about it all the time. But I think that's going to be so key for him because it takes the pressure off of him and just gives him more time to relax. And I think I talked about it too on our message board that, you know, usually Iowa will play, you know, a Northern Illinois and then a UNI and then another non-con maybe. And then they'll get in the conference play. This year was different. I mean, they jumped right into Big Ten play with the new quarterback. I'm not making any excuses, but I feel that that kind of maybe had a lapse in Petrus's development or some of his production mm-hmm. or oh, his overall consistency as as a starting quarterback for the first time. So I think I think you got to come some slack. I mean, I know some of the things that maybe he does you wouldn't be able to fix with three bye games in a sense, but you know, I think – I mean, they played Iowa State, but Iowa State's not – or you you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think there's just some things they could work on. I mean, you look at, you know, just not throwing the ball 100 times or 100 miles per hour. Um, I also think some of the play calling was a little bit frustrating at times. And, you know, I think they put them in some pretty intense situations right off the bat where in a non-conference game you'd – get some lesser opponents to kind of build up that confidence and he didn't have that. But, you know, I think, I think overall you just got to give it time because I think it's too early to really say like, you know, he's not the guy for the job or like, yeah. Cause I think he'll be fine. Cause I mean, Nate Stanley, while he had a great, great sophomore year if I recall like had like 27 touchdowns or something like that 26 and five in his first career road start which was the Iowa State uh overtime game when they came back and hit Amir Smith-Marset for the game-winning touchdown yeah but it's not like I mean he had another big game that year against Ohio State but it's not like he was a killer every single game and now I know some people want to see um especially with Iowa's wide receiver group they want to see Petrus throw for three or four touchdowns in the game and, like, I feel like that will come. Like, I feel like there's going to be a time this year where he's going to have that kind of breakout game in a sense. But then you want to see him build on that. Now it's just leading up to that because I think he feels comfortable where he's at right now. I know he's had some struggles. And I know, like, against Northwestern especially, there were some very questionable throws that he made, some very questionable decisions, some just the way he didn't put any touch on the ball. But I think you got to give it time. I know people are impatient about this stuff, but I feel like you got to give him time. We knew coming into this game that I thought the most missed person outside of like a um, Christian Welch, a linebacker, was going to yep. be Nate Stanley because just the consistency that he brought. I mean, I know I might get some flack for that because he had some throws like Petrus did where he overthrew it, couldn't make certain plays. But having that senior leader at quarterback, like you can't replace that. A three-year starter, like you can't replace that. That is so tough to replace. And, you know, I just think you got to get more Petrus time, Petrus more time. And I think it starts, too, with the offensive line. I think they've done a good job with that. But also I think there's some ways to go with some of the ways Petrus kind of handles himself under center. But, you know, I think I think it's going to be time. Just give it time. And I know and I, I agree with everything you said, Sean, you talked about not really maybe not stunning his development. But again, I've said this time and time again, and I'm going to keep repeating it. He had no spring practice as the starting quarterback. He had a weird summer. He had a weird fall camp. Is that full excuse? No, but I'll even say this. I know everybody likes to harp on Graham Mertz and all that. He's at, he at least got an opportunity to kind of 
build on that because it was always kind of assumed Graham Mertz would, would emerge as the starter. Um, but like you said, I think that people need to give it time. For me, this is the first game where I'm going to somewhat judge Petrus. I'm not going to say it's going to make or break him, but if had this been if this had been a normal season, this would be his first conference game because it's fourth game of the year, right? Um, so this is really when I'm like, okay, he has to be sold in. How is he going to perform? He's going to have a good run game. I think Iowa as a team can have over 250 rushing yards. I think that should be the winning number they should shoot for against Minnesota because they haven't proven that they can defend at a high level. And I'll say this, Sean, there's something that stuck out to me about the player interviews. I think you'll agree with me on this was Brandon Smith asked if he was one of the better wide receivers in the conference or if he feels like anybody can guard him one-on-one. And he, he, you could tell he really wanted to say, no, nobody can guard me. He did somewhat politically correct answer and said, I will come down with the ball more times than not. Those 50-50 passes are 80-20. And I know that Iowa at times can be fearful about going downfield, but Iowa's got to take some more shots with Brand Smith. I think Brand Smith has proven he's healthier. I think he's proven he has that same explosion. He has athleticism. He's made a number of just absolute circus catches. I think Iowa needs to look for Brand Smith more. I think that Brand Smith could be a safety net for Spencer Petrus. I think the next step in Petrus's development is identifying those one-on-one coverages. And that's something Brand Smith said too, that he believes Petrus is going to continue to make strides in and he's comfortable and confident in him is when he recognizes there's one-on-one coverage, just throw Brandon Smith the ball and he'll likely come down with it. So I'd like to see Iowa take a couple more deep shots downfield after they get the run game going against Minnesota, just because I think Iowa at wide receiver has the weapons that can make him pay, especially with those play actions. And I think completing a couple of those deeper passes, Sean will do wonders for Petrus's confidence, uh, just in terms of it's not a screen, it's not a two-yard drag, a three-yard in or out route. This is he's throwing the ball downfield. He's making plays because even Stanley couldn't complete the deep ball. Sean, I think he, Stanley, especially as he continued to progress, really, really nailed those ten to twenty yard throws, especially to Hawkinson, Noah Fan. Yeah, no, I agree. You ready to get some picks in? Yeah, let's let's go. Uh, give me your your predictions and give me. Uh, I know we already touched on this, but give me the two things you're looking for and maybe a bold prediction about something that'll happen in the game. So for me, getting the run game going right away like they did against Michigan State, I think if they can get that first drive like they did against the Spartans, and even, like, I think you got to get in the end zone. Like, kicking a field goal will be fine. Getting points on the board will be fine. But I think you got to get in the end zone. I think if Iowa does that, then that's going to give them a much higher chance to win. I know it sounds a little cliche, but I think if they get that first drive like they did against Michigan State, I think Iowa comes out with the win. So that's kind of my bold prediction slash one of my keys. But I think another one, I mean, stopping Ibrahim, but I also think shutting down, making Tanner Morgan beat you through the air. I think that's going to be important too. I mean, that would have been something last year that we were kind of like make him beat you on the ground. But I think this year it's you got to make him beat you through the pass and really shutting down Rashad Bateman is going to be huge. Um, final score, I mean – I sent our message boards 30 to 14, but I think I'm going to go 20. I'm going to go 35, 24, Iowa. That sounds, that sounds reasonable. I think Iowa will cover, but I, I think it'll be not significant, but I think it'll be, I think it'll be, I think the score will be closer than the game entails. I'll let's say that. Interesting, Sean, because that's 
pretty much what I was thinking. I had 38 to 24. I think that Iowa's offense continues their momentum. And my bold prediction, I think Emir Smith-Marset has a kick return touchdown. I think he's going to come back with an edge to him. Minnesota special teams has faltered at times over the past couple of years under P.J. Fleck. And what better way for Emir Smith-Marset to return than – a then a kick return touchdown I think that happens I think Tyler Goodson gets over 120 yards and if Iowa can hold uh Ibrahim to under 150 yards I know that's a big 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 number but if Iowa can hold under 150 maybe 130 I think Iowa's could feel pretty good where they're at so I have Iowa 38 Minnesota 24 Iowa wins the Floyd Rosedale for the sixth straight year and a couple quick notes where we get to basketball Sean with that we have not mentioned I just brush-stroked it. Emir Smith-Marset is back in the lineup. He will be playing against Minnesota. He he tweeted out an apology. and he, After he was already cleared by, by Kirk, seemingly, but he tweeted out an apology for his actions after the OWI arrest. Uh, but he's back in good staying with the team. And also, a couple guys I want to look out for, if you want to give a quick comment on, on them, Sean. Austin Schulte, defensive tackle, will be in the rotation. And Jack Campbell is set to make his season debut. He will not start. Uh, he's not in shape uh, right now, according to Kirk Ferentz, to play 60 or 70 snaps. But I think you'll look, maybe look for him to get uh, 20, 30 snaps or so. But uh, I think that's those are two big, big boosts, the Iowa defensive line. And I think it gets Davion Nixon and Jack Heflin some much-needed reps off moving on to basketball Sean uh, for a few minutes just because obviously there's some big news this week Iowa at I'll get your instant reaction Sean I know you've had maybe a day to think about but first on the record reaction Iowa number five by the Associated Press poll I had them number five in my top 25 I was I thought they'd go around eighth or ninth in the AP poll but I was surprised that that they were fifth and it's the highest preseason ranking in 65 years for the Hawkeyes but uh Sean, did, did the number five ranking surprise you at all? No, I thought that's about where I would have predicted them heading into the year. I didn't really have like a hard number in my mind, um, but that's probably the that's probably fair. I think Illinois, Illinois was what right behind them, or they were above. I I honestly I haven't looked at the think, whole thing yet. I believe they were seven, and Wisconsin was eight. Wisconsin eight, I think, was a little high for me. Um, I know they have a lot of guys coming back and they had a really good end of the year last year, but we'll see there. I thought, I thought five is fits Iowa. I just know the big tens going to be loaded again. That's, that's all I really have to say. I mean, I don't really have anything like big takeaway from that. I think five was definitely fair. And I think what was most people expected coming into the year around that four or five, six range, you know? Yeah. And by the way, I cleared up Wisconsin was seven, Illinois was eight. Uh, and I agree with you. I would have had Illinois at six. I think Kansas at six is a little bit overhyped. Uh, Devon Dotson is a huge loss for them, and I want to see how they how that team operates. Gonzaga, number one in the country uh, by one point, Sean, 1,541 points to 1,540. Baylor at number two. But if Iowa can win out until December 19th and Gonzaga holds their own, I mean, Sean, we're talking about a potential one, uh, a top three matchup. Because Baylor's schedule, if they drop a game, they, they might drop a couple spots if Iowa wins out. I mean, there's a lot of scenarios at play here, but seven teams in the Big Ten, the top 25. We had a chance to talk with Fran McCaffrey. And, Sean, something that really stuck out to me, and I love the attitude. I thought Fran handled this press conference very well. It, they weren't shying away from the spotlight. I wrote about my column 
uh, last night that I posted HawkeyeInsider.com. Iowa, Fran McCaffrey and the team basically doubled down. They love the hype. They're embracing it. They're enjoying it. And they want the expectations. And the quote that stuck out to me above everything else was, uh, you, this, you're getting what you signed up for. We're playing the number one preseason, number one preseason ranked team on national television on CBS. If you want that, you go to Iowa. This is the competition, what it's all about. I'm paraphrasing that last part, Sean, but were you surprised by Fran's attitude? Not really, not trying to shy away from the spotlight. It just being like, hey, we belong here, but now it's time for us to live up to it. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. No, because I feel like this has kind of been a – this is kind of the year that the staff was kind of like, okay, if we get everyone back, I think this could be the year that we could really make something special. Um, I mean, no one really saw Luca Garza exploding the way that he did last year. But I also think you look at the – you look at kind of how Fran McCaffrey recruits, and you're, you're going to have a tough time getting five stars, high four stars to Iowa City. Like, there's no doubt about that. Like, Fran and his staff has really gone for – have gone for those guys in the past, but I wouldn't even say they were runners-up in some of those recruitments. But, they, I mean, they got them on campus for official visits. But – you know, they weren't really legitimate threats, I would say, to land them. So what that means is you recruit some of these classes, you recruit those high, mid, three stars, or low three stars, they don't make an immediate impact on campus. I mean, look at Jordan Bohannon, he definitely did. Luca Garza, he did, but he was kind of more four-star, I think. Um, Nunji, I mean, granted he's had injuries, but he's not. he hasn't made a significant impact. C.J. Frederick guy that really blew up last year Joe Wieskamp was a sneaky top 50 player um but you have guys that are built in the system and guys that not necessarily are going to be NBA guys but once they get to their junior senior year and they play together for a few years and they've really gotten that early experience that they wouldn't have gotten it say like a like an Indiana or I don't know like another big time program um they got it in their freshman and sophomore year and now they're juniors and seniors while some of these other guys, some of these other teams have younger guys coming in. And now that you have those senior leaders and guys that are proven, like that just kind of feeds into the hype and feeds into the more, um, you know, just experience and really helps you in the long run. I think, cause I mean, we've seen, I mean, the Kentucky 2012 team, I believe it was 2012 is kind of an outlier because they were just yeah. so dang talented but, I mean, you look at Wisconsin a couple of years ago, made a deep run. Um, Duke a couple of years ago, I mean, I know they had some freshmen, but they had some they had some guys on their team that were veterans, not necessarily Tyus Jones or Justice Winslow or Julie Okafor, but they had a couple other guys that were younger guys. Sure. Um, I mean, you look at who, – who else am I thinking Villanova, of? Virginia. Yeah, Villanova, Virginia. Virginia. Um, all those schools. I mean, Michigan State, granted, they haven't won since 2000 but they're always in the conversation because, I mean, granted they have Tom Izzo, but they have older guys that are proven at the younger level when they were younger in college. So 
I think that's kind of where Iowa fans seem to look at, like, yes, the offense is good, but you got guys that are proven the past two or three years as underclassmen, and now they're seniors. Granted, the expectations are high, but they've been there before with playing. Like, this isn't their first time coming in. Like, they're not Mm -hmm. highly touted freshmen. I think that's what people need to realize with these Fran McCaffrey teams is that, like, hey, you're not going to be competing for national championships every year, but once you get those older guys in the fold and once you get guys that really invest in your program – like, I mean, look at the 2016 team or 2015, whatever, or 2015 team um, with Adam Woodbury, Mike Giselle, those guys. Yeah. Like, they didn't make a deep run, but that was their best team, Fran's best team then um, in Iowa because all those guys were older. And, I mean, look at this team too. I think that team has a higher ceiling. This team has a higher ceiling than that team. 100%. But still, like – once you get – that's what they understand. What That's what people have to understand. So once you get these the right guys, they don't have to be studs coming out of high school, but if you get the right guys in the system, guys that are going to be able to build and build a program and build a system, then you're going to have really good teams every three to four years. I think that's – you're seeing that now. And I think, Sean, that's what outsiders, when people saw the rankings, there was a lot of talk from people like, oh, Iowa number five, like – you know, some of the, I don't want to say trolls, but people just didn't believe in them. And I'm not saying they're wrong because as easily as you could buy Iowa being a top five team, we can find deficiencies, right? I mean, you talk about defense, we can talk about their zone rebounding when they got killed on the glass and their zone was horrible. I think of twice against Purdue, you know, those things are fixable. And I think the team knows that, but like you said, and I, I've written about this multiple times, I think after Luca Garza came back, I wrote a column saying buy stock in Iowa because they are a national title contender. And my entire basis for my argument, Sean, was the experience. And then you look at Final Four teams. You look at the couple past national championships. And granted, Villanova, Virginia, they're always really good basketball teams, right? But they always seem to put it together, totally together when their best players are experienced. Iowa's starting five has 347 starts between the, uh, the projected starting five, right? Garza, Frederick, Bohannon, uh, Wieskamp, and uh, Connor McCaffrey. 347 starts between them. They've been around the block. The average age of Iowa's starting five is 21 years and nine months. They understand how to buy in. They're more mature. They have the offensive capabilities. The big question is, about their defense, and we'll know about that in a few weeks. But I, I love the attitude uh, from Fran. A couple other quick notes before we really wrap this up. Patrick McCaffrey is up to 205 pounds. That's tremendous news for Iowa in terms of their depth. And I've heard Patrick's been shooting the ball very well. He's playing well offensively. He's been a versatile weapon, being a good rebounder. And that added weight, I think, is going to really help him stay healthy throughout the season and really be able to handle the Big Ten's physicality uh, Jack Nungy has been tremendous. Of course, that's a franism, as I like to call it, Sean. Phenomenal, tremendous. You know, we hear those words time and time again with him. But he said Jack Nungy's 100% cleared. CJ Fredericks played well. He's 100%. Jordan Bohan's in the best shape of his life. So Iowa is healthy. And I think that alone will translate to the defensive end because they have the depth. Frederick won't be hobbling on defense. And granted, he hides the pain really well. He's a tough kid. Uh, but – Again, I think that's going to play a massive role. There's a lot of things uh, I think you're going to need to look out for, and Iowa's putting together the schedule to uh, to compete, and I think that they'll be battle-tested once the NCAA tournament uh, comes. And I think, Sean, the last, last very quick thing, 
somebody I, I wish I'd give credit to the reporter. I thought it was a good question. They asked Fran about the can Joe Wieskamp handle the physicality in terms of how people defend him last year? Because we saw it, I think, what, Sean, the final month of the season, maybe five weeks, where teams really began to guard him, more hand-checking. Granted, it wasn't called, but they were playing him incredibly physical, and he couldn't get anything going. French said, no, he's ready for it. And I think if that's the case, that's just absolutely huge news for Iowa basketball. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean – it started it's it to me it started with the Indiana game last year, um in February where they put Justin Smith on him, some length on him. And I think Wieskamp is kind of the he's the key this year at Iowa team. I think if him and CJ Frederick can get going consistently, then this team's gonna have a really good chance to um make a run because I mean teams focus so much on Garza that kind of forget that these guys on the perimeter are also forty percent three point shooters. So it's kind of a dangerous combination too with um, Jordan Bohannon coming back, it's going to be yeah. really interesting to see how they kind of how they kind of play together. And that's why I've said that this team's built for the tournament, Sean. I mean, you're talking about the the league leader, the conference leader in three point percentage at forty six percent. CJ Frederick is arguably your fourth offensive option, and you got the national player of the year underneath. With it, you can't put one guy on him. Somebody's going to be open for three. And like you mentioned, I think C.J. Frederick and, you know, you can name a lot of guys to be X-Factor, Sean. I think Joe Wieskamp, like you said, if he can be a consistent 16, 17-point-night guy, grab seven rebounds, and really be aggressive on the defensive end, who knows? And Joe Toussaint, I think, could be an X-Factor in terms of perimeter defense and making that big spark play. So we'll have plenty of time to talk about this today, Sean. Two weeks from today, Iowa basketball is projected, not official, but reportedly going to open up their season against North Carolina Central's part of Iowa's multi-team event on November 25th. Hawkeye Insider will have all the coverage. Uh, any any final notes that you got, Sean? No, nothing really. Pretty much. So uh, we'll be back on Friday. Remember, Iowa takes on Minnesota for the Floyd of Rosedale at 6.05 p.m. That will be nationally televised. I believe it's on Fox Sports 1. Hawkeye Insider 24-7 Sports will have all the coverage uh, you need for that. So until then, we'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about if. I'm going to go to Lynn Human. I like it. I love it. It's original and heartfelt. Ta-da! And the must-see comedy of the summer <laughs> that's perfect for the whole family. It's just so exciting. If. Witty PG, now playing in theaters.